Okay, we got a um, friend of the show, Jordan Harbinger is here. Jordan, how you doing, man? Thanks for having me on, man. I'm just uh, chilling, self-isolating, you know, the huge. We are all isolating, but I like I appreciate you dropping in on the show, just parachuting in uh, just for a couple minutes. It's always fun to have you. You know, this is a, a crazy time. 2020 has been a crazy year. We got coronavirus, and we also had, you know, the sad, tragic passing of Kobe Bryant, who was... A guest on your show. How how did how did that happen? How do you get Kobe? Yeah, you know what was funny is I was pitching a publicity team for a different guest that I can't even rem- remember now because he was about one percent as famous as Kobe Bryant, and they booked it, and it was it was like some comedian, which I of course was really excited about. They booked it and they canceled it, and I got really annoyed, and they said, well would you consider interviewing Kobe Bryant instead? And I said, yeah, of course I would consider that. Let's do that. So we set it up and I flew down to Kobe's office and went over there and hung out for a while and did the interview right there. And it was, it was incredible. It was a really interesting experience to be there with his team as well for that day. And uh, honestly, it was probably September of 2019, so the timing was was interesting. And you know me, I asked him all kinds of questions that had nothing to do with basketball, including about creativity, business, hiring and firing, because you wonder how a guy like Kobe Bryant decides who to hire and how he lets people go. I don't know if I'd want to be on the wrong side of him. And uh, I I did end up asking him about his life and what he's going to do for his second act. And if he ever creepily, I asked him if he ever thinks about what he's going to do if he were gone because he has kids. And, and he was really, really honest in the interview. He was really, really straightforward. And I admire that. It was a really good interview in my opinion. Yeah, that is, um, intense high stakes interviewing uh, to say the least and was he like an idol of yours before you did the interview no man honestly i look who doesn't love watching basketball but i wasn't even i'm just not a fanboy of athletes in general so it was a great unique opportunity but i wasn't nervous because of that i was more nervous because you just never know if your audio equipment's gonna screw up so (laughs) i was more nervous like make sure it's recording than i was nervous to be sitting in front of kobe bryant honestly he's so he was so friendly and unassuming and not very loud in fact we even had audio issues recording it because we're like hey we got to turn him up really high and i said you're really quiet and he goes yeah i'm just not a loud guy man and i was like oh my god can you be loud for like the next 45 minutes so it, it was a really unique experience i'll i'll be thankful for that for a long time to come that is amazing. You know, when we started this show, we were doing the interview style thing, and I made a, a bucket list, a wish list of all the guests that I would want. Uh, you know, Kobe was on there. And uh, when I look at your show, and I've been going, I've been plowing through the archive of episodes that you got, um, you've had a bunch of them. So uh, you've had Tony Hawk, you've had Kobe Bryant. Who are some of the other awesome episodes that people should check out if they if they do binge your show like I'm doing? Sure, yeah. Howie Mandel was really good, the comedian. He, he was very open about things like mental illness and how he doesn't shake people's hands. I've had Dennis Rodman, Malcolm Gladwell, uh, and I also had Frank Abagnale, which a lot of people haven't heard about or from, but he... Is that the Catch Me If You Can he guy? He is the Catch Me If You Can guy. So he's the real guy that was played by Leo DiCaprio, and we talked about the psychology behind how he was able to trick so many people and now he teaches, of course, FBI and intelligence agencies how that's done as well. That is amazing. So if you're one of the listeners to the to the show who um, misses when we used to do the interviews and bring in guests, uh, well, this is this is my recommendation for you. You should go check out the Jordan Harbinger show. He's got tons of interviews from guests that we were you know hoping to one day have on our show. He's already had them on. Check them out um, on on iTunes, on Spotify, wherever you can find it. Jordan, appreciate you as always dropping in on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys.
Uh, Sam, how you doing, man? Why are you so angry? God, fucking <laughs> shit. Nothing works. I hate everything. <laughs> My Apple TV's not working. QuickTime's not working. I hate Zoom. God damn. I hate All right, it. but your, your Mohawk's working. That didn't even work. I meant to shave the whole thing, and I just forgot that up there. <laughs> you did not forget the top. <laughs> Dude, I hate working from home. I hate it so much. Uh, don't worry. Uh, just like, I don't know, six to eight more weeks of this, and then we're back. If we're lucky. If we're lucky. Um, okay, so let's do this. What do we got? Let's jump right in. The people need okay. We were supposed well, we were supposed to talk about why commentator stuff today, but I found I want to talk about something that I think is more interesting. But you want to talk about some lighthearted stuff, which is what's the sway thing? Yeah, what is the sway thing? I saw you. Uh, I saw a video of you dancing. Uh, Was dancing, that the first time you'd seen this? D- dance pretty well. No, I'd seen it. Uh, Ryan Hoover had posted one of him dancing, and when he posted it, it looked very real to me. Yours did not look that as real. I think because where you were in your room. Um, but when I saw that, I was like, holy shit, Ryan can dance. And uh, then I saw the comments and everyone was like, nice app. Nice. How do I get the beta of this app? And I was like, oh, shit, there's an app that makes you dance. Wait, so how, you have this app. I, okay, I think it's pretty popular. It's called Sway. And what it does is you record yourself for 10 or 20 seconds. You just stand there and you like walk around and move. <laughs> and um, then it uses AI or I don't know what it is, but or not AI. It's called... Um, Aug- is it augmented yeah, it would, it would be AR? AR. Or, yeah. Uh, and it um, makes it look like you're dancing, like really good. And I send it to my family and some, I, I made it like 20 of them. They thought I was dancing. It was hilarious. Yeah. It's, um, um, it, it looks pretty, it looks pretty funny. If, if, it, if they actually just made it a little bit less good of dancing, it would look real. People would believe it, but it's like so good that you're like, no way. No. It's pretty amazing. And so when I downloaded it, it was number 50 in the app store. And like, as I was playing with it, I saw it, I, it's been climbing up the charts. And uh, did you just download it because you were browsing the app store or you saw somebody do it? So I all, I do. I browse the app store and I like to see the fastest growing apps. Yeah. And I like to figure out what's going on. I do that with gaming all the time. So I have to figure out the games that are growing fastest. So yeah, I was just browsing. Gotcha. And, uh, but it is viral. Like when you see somebody post it, then oh, you're, like, yeah. you're like, oh, this is great. I can, uh, I can, like, I, I should do that. So it has this kind of like monkey see, monkey do virality that I like. Well, do you remember that app that um, you, you would take a picture of your face and it would make you look older? Right. Didn't it turn out that that was owned by a Russian company and they were like doing funny stuff with your pictures? I don't know if they were actually doing anything, but people were definitely sketched out by it. They're like, wait, I just gave my camera roll access to some random Russian developer. Right. And so did like 50 million other people, like just to, just to make this like uh, old filter or baby filter on, on my face. Yeah. So download that app. It's called Sway Dance. Is it called Sway? It's called Sway for yeah, sure. S-W-A-Y. Uh, it's a cool little app. It's good for little pranks. And actually, you know, it, that is a lighthearted way to start it because it's just funny and people should just go to your Twitter and, and they'll find the video of you doing it. But um, but this is also like part of this uh, deep fakes, um, like this deep fakes problem. And so if you don't know what a deep fake is, a deep fake is basically people can now use um, technology to make a video look real. You can make anything look, so for example, what they do is they'll take Obama. Obama's talking. Yeah. But I can just say one. any sentence. I could just be like, uh, hey, hey, my name's Barack, and um, I'm the worst president of all time. And it'll make it look like 
his lips were moving to my sentence because they basically feed in a bunch of footage of Obama talking normally. And it basically, the algorithm learns, okay, here's how Obama's face moves when he says certain things. And then when I, I can input any audio and it'll make it look like he's doing it. And now, right now, the technology is where it looks a little off, but it's not that far off. Like if I showed it to my not aunt, all of it believe looks it. that off. Right. But it's just getting better month over month. So they just showed a, um, like a paper just came out with a new one and it's literally just taking a still photo. So they took the Mona Lisa and then they do the same thing. I can go say a sentence and it will make the Mona Lisa say it. And like the, the, the voice can, can, is that good. And so like, it's pretty crazy that they can just do that off a still photo. You don't even need like hours and hours of raw footage of the person in order to do this now. But what do you think of this whole deep fixing? Because it's a big problem. Like your sister's a lawyer and um, I think she was, she was like a DA before, right? Or something yeah. Like uh, well, she was no, the public DA. defender. And then she's the public defender in the Bronx. And, uh, and people, yeah. now it's like, if you can't trust what you see, right? If, if, if audio, like we already had photos that could be Photoshopped. Audio now that can be uh, like Livebird, uh, uh, I think is the name of it, um, where basically you just, you just talk, uh, you, can t- you, you, can train, um, you can train this system to where you can just type anything and it'll say it in your voice or it'll say it in Donald Trump's voice. So if you can't believe what you see, what you hear, or what's in video, then um, how does that like mess up the world? Like fake news is going to become a bigger problem. Yeah, it's going to become a problem. But why are we defaulting to that? Why are we worrying about, I mean, yeah, it's going to be a problem. But also let's think about all the amazing things. Like, like act, like there's going to be fake actors. Like my dance, vi- like your dance video. <laughs> yeah. Like <laughs> it's going to make, on that. it's going to make movies amazing. Like, like Brad Pitt won't exist. Right. It'll be, it'll, well, it will be, it'll be, AJ Pitt and it will be some fake person and I think that's awesome. So here's a future world. You literally are just looking at your computer and instead like today if you want to make a movie or an animation you have to like be an animator or a movie editor or an artist to be able to draw. You're just going to be able to say things and it's going to be able to create what you're what you're saying. So you're going to be able to say okay what if Donald Trump was talking to you know whatever Barack Obama and then Donald jumped in the air and he said this and then literally it's just going to be able to animate that's how that's how far this is going to go and that's going to unlock the ability to create stuff to people who don't have the technical skills to do it today yeah i mean i'm but i'm not too worried about how they're going to ju- um regulate it because like if you have a political ad now it like it, anyone could run an ad on facebook or on tv and it says donald trump i'm donald trump and i hate mexicans anyone could do that now but I mean, like literally the tech, like you could buy ads, but there are ways to say like, well, no, that's not allowed. And it has to say like, I'm Donald Trump and I support this. You know what I mean? Like there are ways to like, what do you mean? Like if you run a TV, a political TV ad right now, it has to say who pays for it. Sure. It has to say, is this, but it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be a political thing, right? This could, this can go for anyone. Someone in high school can just bully somebody else. Like right now, the the thing that deep fix, Deepfakes got famous because people were putting other people's faces on porn actors and you could make it look like I could take a photo of your mom and I could put it on it, put it into a porno and it would look like your mom's in the porno. And people were doing this with celebrities. People were doing this with their classmates. And, uh, you know, the Reddit, the subreddit for this got huge is r slash deepfakes, r slash deepfakes. And, um, 
So this is how it got popular because it was like this incredible bullying tool. Like forget about political ads. It's just like slander left and right. Did, did, it, did it get taken down that subreddit? No, I think it's still up. <laughs> I'm gonna, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I haven't been in a long time, but um, when it first blew up, you know, it, it got really popular because people were, you know, if, oh yeah, it is banned from Reddit now because it, it was like, it was becoming a problem. Oh um, yeah. But that, that didn't stop the actual, the actual problem. That just stopped the subreddit where people were sharing it. Um, so, so I think this is going to be a massive, massive problem for evidence. I think it's going to become a massive problem for just like slander and, um, you know, spin. Like I could, I could take a video of you and make it say that you hate Mexican people and it's not yeah, Donald right. Trump. And, uh, and people would believe it because they would see your face and they would say, I saw him say that, you know? Yeah. I don't know. And so I'll tell you what some people are trying to do to combat this. There's a whole bunch of programmers who programmers in general are, have a high bar for the truth. They really want things to be true, logical, solvable, reliable. And so when you take away evidence, evidence, which used to be a source of truth, it's like, well, you're saying this, but I have video of you doing that thing. So that's evidence. But now it's like, well, this video could be anything. This video could be fake. Um, so they're trying to solve this in the way that they think it can be solved. So the theory is anything you make to sort of validate stuff, um, the con artist will always be one step ahead. And there's too big of a payoff to be able to fake this stuff well. It's like a counterfeiter. And um, so you're always a cat and mouse game, which is not a winning solution. So the solution that they believe is that the phone makers themselves, the device makers themselves, will need to put a cryptographic seal um, on the video when it's taken. And it's like a tamper-proof seal like we have with medicine or whatever, where it's like, if this seal is broken, that means this video has been edited in some way. And so at some point, people will only trust um, videos or photos that have this, this cryptographic seal on them that says this has not been edited because it's, it's on the device itself from when it got captured, it gets instantly implemented on. And so- Who's um, working on that? Well, the problem is a startup can't do this, right? Because it's actually Apple that needs to implement it. It's actually Samsung that needs to implement this. And so uh, luckily, Apple's a pretty privacy conscious company. And they know that like, if their tools are being used for evil, they usually actually do stuff about it. So hopefully Apple is working on this. But I have a friend who was doing a startup trying to do this. And he was running into this problem, which is like, look, the people who need to do this are all, all the camera makers. Uh, like, you know, the security camera itself needs to do this. And that's the only like, decent solution. Now, some technical people will say, "Oh, there's nothing that's actually tamper-proof. You can still, you can still, uh, you know, get around it." Sure, but sure, sure. But they, it's better. And they are right, but there are still things where it's mo it mostly works. Right. Exactly. So I think that's the world. That, that's the way the world is going to work later, where you're going to need to see this little, you know, icon that says it's like you know, it's the gluten-free icon. It's the it's the or, this, organic this, this organic yeah. icon. It's going to be this is legitimate and there's going to be a legitimacy icon on any photo or video. Dude, that, that the icon business, that's a good business. You know, JD power. No, oh, I mean, I've heard of it, but I don't know what you're going to tell me right now. But you know what it is though, right? It's like all I know, 55 JD power, JD awards. power and associates. That's all I know. What does that mean? <laughs> okay. So JD power, the reason I looked into this, cause I wanted to create a business like this where I was like, because I was like, this is a fucking racket. And I'm like, it does sound it does give a little, it does give value if they're, if you, but you have to be like a uh, benevolent dictator where like right. you can like rule it, but you really got to be honest. Otherwise it's trust it's as bullshit. a service. Right. Right. And JD power, what they do is it's a billion dollar company. JD power is. And all, I mean, what they do is they test different cars and they give it awards, 
But the, the way that they make money is the car companies are members of the organization. So if you're like, if, if you know, if you only want the money, you don't give a fuck about like being ethical. Um, you could be like, Hey, Ford, like our new membership costs this much money. Are you guys in or out? And just so you know, if you're out, we can't give you any right. awards. That's crazy. Um, yeah, that, yeah. If you could be in the business of being the rating agency, that is gold. In fact, uh, you know, but one of the problems is like if, if people remember during the the subprime uh, crisis, I, I believe what happened was these these subprime mortgages, um, the bonds that were the securitized housing bonds, the mortgage bonds were rated AAA. And people were like, well, how is this rated AAA? This is like a junk bond. Um, why would it be rated AAA? And the, I think, I believe this, um, uh, the companies, I think it was the banks that were funding Standard & Poor, right? So yeah, Standard & Poor was the rating agency and they were the ones sort of um, funneling money exactly. into Exactly. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. And so they lost their, or they didn't actually lose it. They're still around. They're still one of the kind of main rating agencies. But like, that's a breach of, breach of trust uh, when the only thing you're providing is trust as a service. Yeah, it's the same thing. So JD Power was sold to McGraw Hill in 2005 for $400 million. And then it was sold again recently in 2019, I think for north of a billion. Right. I've really been wanting to do the same thing. I like you. I've, I've been wanting to create a credentialing agency. So um, either in the standardized testing world, so like, you know, the way SAT, and these, these things are a racket because they can charge whatever the hell they want because you need that credential to move forward. And um, these credentials were, were, you know, for the most part, all these credentials were just created at one point in time. And uh, so I was looking into like, is there another credential that I could create that um, literally all I'm providing is a stamp and I just get paid for, for, for the stamp. Well, you know what I've always um, wanted to do that's similar is a vendor's list. So like, Sean, if you're launching something, you're gonna come to me because you think I know a little bit about copywriting and you're gonna say, do you know any copywriters? And I'm going to be like, I know one or two, but like they're hard to find. And so in my head, I'm like, I just got to create Sam's list where it just have like approved vendors. And right. now this is the best. What? Are you saying this is the best? Or are you saying these are 10 that you should check out? Or are you saying this is the best one, like wire cutter? Well, I don't think you could do the best one because if you have the best copywriter, that person will always be busy. But right. like there are definitely like uh, dozens or hundreds that, you can approve. Um, I mean, I guess Angie's list was something similar and that's huge. Uh, but like, I've always wanted to do this for copywriters in particular. I was, I, I, I almost bought Sam or I almost did Sam's list and right. because <laughs> people are always like, which copywriter should I do? I'm like, I don't know, man. Uh, I could post on my social media, but like, it's a lot of work for me to go and find them for you. Right. But like the same thing with law firms, the same thing with accountants. Right. Um, I'm like, man, I got to just create like a vendor's list of people who I know and approve of. Th that's cool. The version of this I wanted to do was around either IQ. So I was like, oh, okay, like Mensa IQ. Like, can I basically create some bullshit test that uh, essentially labels people? And then, you know, if you're in the top 5%, you get this extra little certificate. And so people would pay to be basically have that as, oh, a, awesome. as a bragging right. Or I was also thinking about it for developers. Like, is there a... Um, just an extra credential you could pay $39 to get that basically says, yes, I know X language or I am competent. I have this level of competency at this thing. And um, I'm really a big fan of if anyone's out there creating a credential, uh, you know, credentialing agency or trust as a service, I'm very, very interested in those. Cause I think those are um, beautiful, beautiful businesses, extremely easy to run, low cost, low risk. 
And the more you do it, the more powerful they become because the more you're, the more times you see JD Power, even if you don't even fully know what it is, it's like, oh, we need to go get that. That's the, that's the standard. So I just looked up Mensa while you were talking. They have 150, they're a nonprofit. It's 150,000 members and they do about $4.8 million a year in sales. Interesting. Not that big. I wonder the backstory. Yeah, but like as a nonprofit, you never know. Like what's the, what was their motive? How are they doing things? Well, um, but you do know, dude, you can go and look up at all their, uh, they have to file a form, a government form and you can see right. how much the, uh, how much they pay themselves, how much revenue and what their expenses are. Right. I, um, I, I guess what I'm saying is I haven't, I haven't done that part. Like the same thing can be done for athletes, by the way. Like, you know how NFL players go through the combine, which is basically this battery of tests. You run a 40-yard dash. You do this uh, uh, bench press of 185 pounds. You do a vertical leap test. And so I really wanted I, – I really think that somebody could create a credentialing thing where you just have this facility in different cities – and people pay to come in to get officially tested to get their scores. And it's like, here's how good I am as an athlete. And then they use that when they're trying to basically like get on AAU teams or get college scholarships or whatever it is. It's like today we only offer that to NFL players right before they get drafted. But I think that this should be a sort of um, a standard service for athletes to say, hey, what's my reaction time? What's my agility test? What's my vertical? So I did that when I was a kid, uh, when I was in high school, I did the same thing. It was called Spark. And Spark, okay. Uh, S P A R Q. And <laughs> the guy who created it was a ex, uh, he was a college, a very elite college runner in the seventies and eighties. I think his name was Rudy. Um, I forget his last, Rudy Chapa. I'm, I'm remembering it off the top of my head. Rudy Chapa. He was a, uh, uh, two miler from California in high school. He, I think he had the high school state record or high school national record for the two mile at like eight, 30 something. Right. And um, his name is Rudy Chapa. I think, am I right? Is his name Rudy Chapa? Uh, I'm on the website right now. I don't see, I haven't looked at his name, but yeah, this looks interesting. And do 400 uh, fitness tests. And he was a Nike executive. And then he created the Spark test. And what you did, it was very similar to a combine. And it was, and I did it. I I crushed it. It was a 40 (laughs) yard, 40 yard dash, a broad jump, a vertical jump. um, How far you can throw a medicine ball. Right. And maybe that's it. And they would give you a score and that score. Uh, and I went to this place called Velocity Sports and Velocity Sports was created by the coach of LSU track and field. And it was a chain of gyms that you can go to for high school kids and run and shit like that. And the Velocity Sports must have paid Spark money to use it. And then when you applied to college, I would put my Spark score to get a scholarship. Yes, dude, that's exactly what I'm thinking about. And I'm looking at their website now. It looks uh, very basic, but uh, yeah, this is interesting. I think there's a lot of unused facilities uh, like track, track and field uh, that are unused so much of the time that you could do this without CapEx probably. As long as you say like, you know, when you run a race and it's like, as long as the wind conditions are under this, then it's in a, this counts in the official thing. Right. Um, so I bet you could use, you know, in the summertime schools that are empty, you could use their track and field facilities and um, build a build a program like this because now people with sports are parents with sports are, have become so crazy um, where people are doing travel sports at like age six, age seven. You're paying thousands of dollars for your seven year old to play baseball and um, be on this like elite team. And this is like a multi billion dollar industry, the travel sports industry. And I think all those people would be people who would want to get their kid tested. And you could drive Facebook ads 
to say, hey, get your kid tested. Here's your score. What's your score? And then every year you want it upgraded because it's like, oh, I've gotten stronger, faster, and taller. So uh, I want my official measurements that are, that are sort of ratified. And, and here's another example of this. Is, uh, this is kind of funny. We're kind of ranting on this. I, I did zero research on this other than, like, I didn't prepare for this. So Me neither. I just thought of this idea while we were talking. That's, uh, that's how fucking great we are, dude. <laughs> just take a minute to appreciate that. Do you know um, Gallup? I do know Gallup, yes. Okay, so, uh, wait, I, did my microphone, is, are we, is it good? Um, okay, so Gallup is, uh, is a um, polling service, right? Polling company created by this guy named Joseph Gallup, I think. And the, uh, another company, or like a, a smaller company bought Gallup, and it was a family-owned business, and the founder of that company that bought Gallup, his name was... Um, I forget his name exactly, but do you remember um, Strengths Finder? Yes. The guy who owned the family business that bought Gallup, he is the author of Strengths Finder. I see. And so Strengths, Strengths Finder, it's hard for, for me to say, they have um, a book that is popular, but it's, even though it's popular, it doesn't make nearly the amount of money that the company makes. The company makes about a billion or $2 billion a year. It's privately owned. It's probably one of the largest privately owned companies in America like top 200 and they have a quiz. So if you Google strengths finders quiz, it's a $29 or $49 quiz. And it tells you where you rank on strengths finder. Right. I've, I've taken it uh, because somebody sent it to me. Jim Clifton's the name of the guy. You're Jim Clifton, about. Jim Clifton, his dad, Jim Clifton was the CEO of Gallup. Right. And this was his thing. And so it was like a survey. They make hundreds of millions of dollars a year off that quiz. Yes, exactly. So I've taken strengths finders and I, this is when I was like, Oh, this is just bullshit. Okay. Gotcha. Like, first of all, it's a test. You cannot fail. It's just saying, which of these strengths do you have? So you, you're just going to get one of the, there's like 25 strengths or whatever. It's like, here's the five you get leadership, determination, and you know, innovation and whatever. And then the other person gets like empathy and, you know, you know, thoughtfulness and whatever else. So it's, it's pretty genius. And they sell these to companies who want to basically take these personality tests for leaders to say, hey, we want to understand our employees better. You want to understand your team teammates better, and this will help you work together better. And um, I believe StrengthsFinders was doing like 100 million plus in revenue. I'd have to go double check that, but um, but yeah, it's like a tremendously successful franchise. And the book is really just a, it's like a code you get in the book that says go take this quiz online. Um, and then the book is like kind of useless beyond that. But you have to. And buy that the book. shit works really well using that book because. Um, like I, I said, I've I've kind of talked about this. Me and Ramon, we own this ch- this 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 software for uh, to do lists, and we get all of our signups practically because one guy who has a book mentioned our service, <laughs> and it gets signups, and the book's not, not even popular. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, also, uh, uh, like we had talked about that person in our Facebook group, the My First Million uh, Side Hustles Facebook group, basically, who is doing a chess tutoring service um any niche sport or niche niche thing like chess uh, i don't know there probably is already because chess is so widely established but probably is already some sort of benchmark or test you take uh but if i was him i would basically create my own anyways which is like oh by the way for all my students like once a year we do this hundred dollar um you know test and you get your chess chess q score and what your chess q score tells you your adaptability your you know recognition cognition whatever and um and so i and it's not like total horse shit. You actually are testing to see how good they are at certain things. Um, 
but I think it's a, it's just a, a very simple way to make a lot of money off of, um, kind of vaporware. There's nothing physical you're doing there. Vaporware in that it's real, but it's, uh, it's lightweight. It's, it's very simple to yeah. create. It's very simple to maintain. There's no like employees or assets you need to buy in order well, to Well, because that. Sean, someone in the reviews, our latest review says that you and I are unethical and that you have to check your ethics at the door if you're going to listen to this podcast, which is <laughs> totally bullshit. But I just want to make them aware that when you say vaporware, you mean it's real or it's substance, but... It's- yeah, vaporware is the wrong word for it. What I meant is a uh, very lightweight thing to create and maintain and uh, very uh, low cost to create. Another example of this is Doug Score. Do you know Doug Score? Never heard of it. Dude, it's just this guy named Doug DeMauro. He's this nerd... Uh, like he's like the nerdiest guy ever and he's got like 4 million subscribers on YouTube and like he's the type of guy who wears like a collared shirt but like you can see his white undershirt sticking out from from, uh, like the sleeves you know people like (laughs) he's like I know exactly what you're talking about he's like a sloppy dirty guy but he's amazing he has a, a thing where he reviews cars and he creates a Doug score which is based off of like is this fun for a weekend car or is this fun for a daily driver and now at this point he's got a thousand cars that he's ranked and i'm when i'm buying my car now i check do it. it i check the doug score ah i like that okay that's cool like kelly blue book for value and then doug score for sort of enjoyment i like that and kelly um, kelly blue book great example so kelly blue me- book is a multi-billion dollar company yeah, but, but they, they provide a little different thing. They have just like a data set that they're able to use to, to, to give you a, a, a price comparison, which is like different than sort of an aptitude test. But um, nonetheless, I'm curious, um, do you think we are low ethics? Do you think you have a sort of a looser ethical um, criteria than most people for business? I think that we have a looser um, attitude, yes. But By the way, I, mean, all, it, it, sorry, I think it, it's... it's significantly above the line of like good like right like for example most people are like i can't pre-sell product that i don't have and i'm like in my head i'm like who cares just refund the people and like you haven't you sound like i'm not saying steal money i'm saying advertise something that doesn't exist so you can get demand improve demand and then you refund the money you don't i'm not saying you steal from them but yeah you are lying and so i think that's ethical Right. Yeah. I think we definitely have a, a looser definition than the average person, I would say. The average, um, maybe the average business person even. Um, but there is, you know, I think the, the, the problem here is there's no standards, right? There's no, there's no definition for what, what's ethical, what's not. It's completely subjective and judgmental. Um, and so the, the, the hard part is, you know, for us, we think there's a line between right and wrong and we're on the right side. We, we, we think we have a safe margin of a buffer where we're in the right. Uh, but for other people, their line might be in a different spot. Yeah, but and, that's because uh, most people aren't aggressive. But anything that I do, I would, I would suggest to my mom that she buy whatever I'm promoting or like, it's right. like, do I want my family to use this or, or if I told them about what I'm doing, would I like, do I want to hide this? Right. And I don't, I'm, 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 Anything that I do, I'm not afraid uh, to tell so everyone. So I met this guy once. Um, this guy had reached out to me about, uh, we were building this product called Blab. And Blab was getting popular. This guy reached out. He said, hey, my name's Billy. I'm from, uh, you know, I forgot where he's from, like Santiago or they're from Mexico or some, somewhere in Latam. And he was like, I'm coming up to California. I'm coming to San Francisco. I want to meet you and I want to talk to you about this company. And I was like, okay, uh, I, don't know. I don't know about that. Like most of the people who 
that are users of a product are not usually people I want to like do meetings with necessarily, but he said a bunch of stuff in his email that made him sound amazingly legit. He was like, my family started the first television station in Mexico. Um, we, you know, I own all these different like uh, music festivals and he sounded, he sounded like super legit, but his email was written with blue text font and like different sizes of text. And so I was oh, like, oh God. Copy and paste. Yeah. So, so I was, well, well, no, 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 not like that. Like it was like, like he had chose like, no, I'm going to, my emails are blue and not the like copy paste little purple thing. It was like, um, this was just his style. So I was like, I don't know if this guy's a joker or not. Anyways, we go out to dinner and I have very low hopes. We go to a sushi place and I walk in and I see probably the most handsome guy I've ever seen. And this guy, Billy was extremely well put together. He's like in a suit and tie. Um, he looks legit. He, we sit down at the table. He orders the omakase, which is basically chef choice, like $200 each sushi dinner. And he's like, I got this. Don't worry. And um, I'm like, okay, I'm starting to believe, but uh, you know, could be, could still be someone who's faking it. And he starts telling me a story and this guy is completely legit. And he's probably the most charismatic guy I've ever met in my whole life. I was like, you know, if, if, if I swung that way, I'd be in love right now. Like this guy is amazing. So at the end of the dinner, I asked him a question. I said, Hey, um, you know, you're a very persuasive guy. Like this was, you clearly are good at this, right? You're clearly very persuasive, very charming. I said, I used to think I'm that way till I met you. Basically. I used to think I was in the sort of top tier of that. Um, but I always sort of had this hesitation of like, you know, should I use my, my powers for good or evil type of thing? Like, I, where do you draw the line on using well, this? But this guy's legit? He was a real oh, person? I mean, completely legit, okay. yes. And, and so he really was wealthy, very successful, very smart, very charming, all that good stuff. And so um, I asked him, I said, you know, what do you think? He goes, my rule is this. He goes, if your intentions are good, then it's all fair game. And so he was like, he was like, it all that matters is the intent. If you're trying to scam people, if you're trying to con people, if you're trying to not deliver value, if you're trying to just get something that's a good situation for you and not for the other person, then you shouldn't be doing it. What you shouldn't be using all these powers of persuasion. He's like, but if you think you are genuinely going to help people, if you think you are genuinely in the right, if you think you're genuinely working for a good cause, if your mission is pure, if your intent is good, then it's all fair game. You should use it to the max. And I was like, all right, Billy, thank you very much for this uh, incredible I lesson. completely and- agree with him. And <laughs> if you study, you know, like persuasion and charm, and I use it in the form of copywriting. That's all. Uh, some people are born better, but it's a teachable skill. And I always tell people, like, what I'm going to sh- tell you, it's going to sound like evil. Like, I'm going to teach you how to manipulate people, but make sure you use it for good. Right. <laughs> because um, you can easily use this for bad. And you know what? Here's a here's a weird counter to this. And this is where you know people are going to be like, okay, this guy's actually evil. Okay, so the other way of doing this. So, the, so one way, one thing is to say what you just said, which is use these powers for good. The other thing I've I've been able to do is is the opposite, which is when I see somebody do something for evil, but it works, I try to learn from it. And so, for example, remember the first time I saw, I'll give you a recent example first. No, I completely agree. So Trump is uh, somebody who I'm not a fan of. I I think the guy is bad in all these different ways. Um, but when I watch him, the guy is an incredibly effective communicator. And he's not polished. He doesn't use fancy $15 words. He um, doesn't have a lot of substance behind what he's saying. But the guy is like a, a master of, uh, of communication. The guy knows how to get his point across uh, in a way that resonates with people. I completely and agree. Scott Adams, who's the creator of Dilbert, was talking about this when Trump was running. And if you haven't seen it, go read Scott Adams' blog. Um, he's the creator of Dilbert. And he was early on when Trump first announced his candidacy. Scott Adams called it. He goes, this guy's going to win. 
And people were like, what? He goes, I've been studying persuasion for 20 years. I've been studying hypnosis. I've been a communicator through cartoon. I know an effective communicator when I see one. This guy is a master. He goes, and so he, he would come up with, whenever Trump would say things like, um, low energy Jeb or whatever, when he would like call Jeb Bush low energy, um, he was like, these are linguistic kill shots. These are, and or when he would talk about the wall, he'd be like, it's a great big wall, a huge wall. And he's like, he's painting a picture in people's minds, which is much better than talking about policy. And uh, so, so you can learn from people that you think are using it for negative. Well, he, he, and he called out that he was going to win. He called that he was going to win months before anybody even took him seriously. When 538 was like, this guy's got a 0% chance. Scott Adams was like, this guy's going to win. And uh, of course, if he was wrong, nobody would ever even really pay attention to it. Cause you know, but when you're right on, on a contrarian prediction, you get all the credit. And the other example of this was Hitler. So Hitler, when Hitler was rising to power, I studied, how did this guy get so popular? What did this guy do? Because when you watch him speak, he's not a very compelling guy. Um, but uh, they did a lot of things. So one thing I remember uh, that stood out to me, this I was in seventh grade, and I remember learning about this. And when Hitler was trying to rise to power, all the political campaign posters were all like full color, lots of text, uh, people trying to explain their position on things. And Hitler went the other way. Everything he did was black and white, which would be normally, it would not stand out. But he was like, well, I will contrast everybody else who's do, using tons of color on their stuff. I'll go black and white. The second thing was he would use only like big images and like really powerful images and not a bunch of text. And then he would use movies as propaganda and you know fill the cinema with people to watch a movie, but it was very much a propaganda thing behind it. So even though he used it for evil, those techniques and principles are interesting to learn from for me as somebody who wants to, you know, have a strong toolkit that I can use for good. I completely agree. I was reading, I've been going down so many Wikipedia holes now that I'm home so much. I was reading <laughs> about, uh, I read Wik- Hitler's Wikipedia because I was reading about World War II and it let me, like, I was reading about the mafia and then World War II and then <laughs> like, uh, and it was like, he's... There, like his rise to power was because he uh, like would speak at these uh, I don't know what what the equivalent of is now but just like halls where he right. like bars like veteran halls and I'm like wait a minute he started as a speaker that's it right but it was kind of crazy um, so okay a couple of things we'll, we'll switch topics because people now are like what these guys are saying Trump and Hitler are good and I don't understand um, okay so I have an idea for you so um, I call this my new Lambda school idea. Um, have you ever, do you guys have like an office administrator or office admin? I don't know if you guys are. We have, yeah. I mean, we have someone who handles stuff. Yes. And do, like do an HR like, and things like that. Right. I'm talking more like, um, so admin work or like an executive assistant or a secretary. Do you have anybody like that? Yeah. Or have you ever? So recently, um, I'm, uh, at, at my work, we're hiring an EA, right? So we had an EA, she left, we had to hire a new uh, executive assistant. And so um, they put me on the hiring panel and I'm like, okay, I don't even know what questions I'm supposed to ask. Like, I, I, I don't really know what the background I should be looking for, all that stuff. So I started thinking about this, started looking it up. So it turns out that um, office administrators or, or secretaries or, or executive administrators, uh, EAs, is one of the most popular jobs in the country. Um, and it's also something where, so there's about, you know, I'd say 600,000, I think, in the U.S., um, and they pay pretty well, uh, so it doesn't require tons of specialized skill. It's pretty much anybody can learn to do this if you're, if you're you know, somewhat competent. But you can make 50, 60, 70, 80K um, doing this. I thought, well, that's a pretty good paying job, and 
I know at our company, the EAs, they're critical. Um, they do such an amazing job. They, they, they help, and all the senior leaders do what they do. And so I started thinking about this, and I said, could there be a Lambda school for EAs? Because I think this is something that in three months, you could teach people the core skills that you need around calendaring, booking travel, um, you know, note-taking, all the different sort of comp core components that you need to do to do this job well. Um, you know, it's not rocket science. You just need to learn the tools and learn the sort of do's and don'ts. And then I think companies when, you know, like us, when we're hiring for this, um, there's no like school or degree that you look at where you're like, oh, because you have this degree, you're going to do a good job. And so it's usually like, do you already have experience doing this or not? But that's a catch 22 because how do you break in if, it, if everyone wants to hire for somebody who already has experience doing it? And so I'm thinking that you could create a program that uh, tells, it offers people and says, hey, in three months, we can train you for a job that'll pay you 50, 60, or 70K a year. And it's a job that has good, you know, work-life balance and all these other characteristics of it. And so, and you could use the Lambda School model where you take an income share agreement. You say, great, I'm training people for three months. It costs me $3,000 to do this remote virtual school, but I make back, you know, up to 15K, 17K per candidate that gets placed into a job uh, over time. What do you think of this idea? Fucking love it. And I'm looking it up right now. Um, org.org.co. Have you heard of org.org? Org? No, that's a hilarious name though. We use it. Um, let's see how big their team is. That can kind of tell us how big they are. But okay, what org.org org is, is it's a community slash community slash uh, job board. It's like a, I don't know how you would describe it in one word. It's a org.org org is a 100% volunteer run organization. Uh, we have jog board blogs, resources, we have private groups and email lists, and it's all for HR and right. executive assistants, office manager, HR departments, and DIY uh, admin assistant, like, you know, right. whatever. It's, uh, and so my, uh, our old EA was on this, and it was an email list, and they, and they would send out blasts like, hey, I'm looking for uh, the best IT person. Our company's small. We only have a budget of $2,000. Right. Who do you recommend? Or like when I wanted to hire a new EA, I had a friend post a listing on there and I got tons of applicants. What I would do with your idea is I would either buy this company. Man, these, these, the lady who runs this, I forget her name, but she could be making millions off of this, but right. I don't think she is. I bet she's making hundreds of thousands of dollars. So right. I would buy that. Yeah, I would buy, buy that. Buy it or become the platinum sponsor for a, you know fair a fair rate, and uh, use it for for the sort of the user acquisition. And there's this powerful thing because um, once you build the brand that hey yeah this it's like a staffing agency right, but it's a it's a big internet internet version of a staffing agency. And once you place some people, two good things happen. The first is you get a reputation that says hey our EAs have been hired by company A B C D E, and if we become we become a trustworthy source for good, good EAs. But then also right now all the candidates in our current EA pipeline came from our existing EAs, people they knew from their network. And so as your alumni become your hiring, become your hiring partners. And so the more alumni you place, the more opportunities you have for your own graduates. And so I think that's like the real power of, uh, of the Lambda school model. And unlike developers. Well, okay. So the Lambda big, school model, you got to break that shit down. Lambda school model. You're saying you train them for free and then you get a percentage of their salary. Income. Yes. You Do train you love them. that model for everything? Uh, not for everything necessarily, but I think when you have a low cost of training, uh, it's a great model because it, it reduces the friction to join because you say, well, it's 
free. And so uh, it's, I, only, I only have to pay them if I get a high-paying job out of this. So your incentives are aligned, right? Because we want you to get a high-paying job, but you came to us to get a high-paying job. We only get paid if you get a high-paying job. And if you get a high-paying job, this is a reasonable payback for, uh, for us providing that service to you. And so I think any, way, any place where you have a low cost of training, this is a, a very good mechanism. It's a, just a debt mechanism. It gets a lot of hype, but really it's just a debt vehicle. And, um, but I think it's a good debt vehicle for, for this. Let's, oh, why don't you bring up this Xavier Neal story? Okay, yes. All right, so Xavier Neal. I'm sorry, I feel like I've been talking most of this podcast. That's okay. But I'll, it's I'll it's really interesting. So Xavier Neal um, is my new favorite billionaire. So this is my second section. This is my segment of the show called My New Favorite Rich Guy. Um, so this guy is essentially like an Elon Musk type of dude in France. But instead of trying to send rockets to Mars, this guy just operates in his own style. But he's got the same kind of uh, what I call like no fucks given um, attitude, like a Branson or an Elon Musk. And I'd never heard of this guy. So um, I'll tell you how I discovered him. So I discovered him because he created this thing called 42. Have you ever heard of the school called 42? Um, no. So, Wait, so he's in France? He's in France. Um, he, so I'll, I'll tell you his kind of like life story. So age 19, he creates this business called Minitel. Minitel is essentially a sex hotline, uh, a phone service. You know, you call, it's so called like sort of a sex line. And at 19, he creates this thing and it goes gangbusters. Um, and so he's doing really well, makes a few million bucks off this. Then he either creates or invests and buy, buys a stake in something called WorldNet, sold a few, few years later for 50 million bucks, right before the dot-com uh, crash. And then his big thing that he did was he created this thing called Free. And Free was like a, a T-Mobile, it's like a, a mobile carrier. And at the time in France, all like SMS, phone plans, they're all very expensive. So he created, he undercut everybody. He created the like lowest cost way to have, you know, a cellular, ser- cellular service. And so Free became this um, huge company. And so his, his net worth ballooned to like $6.6 billion. I'm looking him up now. This guy's my favorite person ever. Yeah, and he's, he's very legit. And so he was like, all right, look, um, what do I want to do now? I want to do more baller shit. And so he was like, okay, I'm going to create this thing called 42. So he was like, I'm going to create a computer science school with no teachers and no staff. So all he did was create this dope facility with a bunch of computers. And if you get into 42, you just come and uh, the computer is your lesson plan. So it's like a video game. There's like a challenge. It's like, hey, you need to make a website that can do X, Y, and Z. And you're like, okay. And it's like, you have the internet? And you have some people next to you and like, you guys need to figure out how to get past this level. And uh, so you start doing the program. And so it's self-serve. You do it, you do um, a bunch of like projects to level up. Plus you create your own, you know, like projects or ideas. So somebody created, I don't know, like uh, somebody could create like a coronavirus tracker right now because that's a timely little website you can. Yeah, I'm looking it up now. They have 2,500 students. Yeah. And and it's actually closed right now because the physical facility closed here, but it was, it was a wild idea. I don't even know how successful it's been. I don't think it's been a wild success, but I love his bet. So he was like, yeah, I'm going to put $150 million into this. So he built one in France and he built one here in Fremont for $100 million in California. And um, it was just like, so what a, what a radical idea. What a way to bet your money and try to like change the world over and over and over again. And then he did this thing in, in France. He's like, okay, how do I build the like startup ecosystem here? So he created this thing called Station F. And if you this thing it's like the fucking nasa facility it's like this huge huge like like i don't know how many football fields long office or hangar or co-working space and he's like all right i'm gonna make the dopest place for any investor to come when they're in europe 
here, here's some space to go hang out. Entrepreneurs, you're starting companies, come over here and, and build your company. Here's an office space. Um, restaurants, come here at the bottom, fill this place up, you know, gym, whatever. So he created his own little oasis, kind of like Tony Shea did in Vegas. Uh, this guy did in France. This guy's it's amazing. Station F. What, what I'm, so I just love this guy's style. So first of all, I've looked it up now. He's not perfect. 2004, he was indicted and uh, detained for a month for misuse of company assets, which occurred in several of his sex shops that he was a shareholder in. And <laughs> right. he ended up getting a two years suspended prison sentence for misuse of company assets. So he's certainly not perfect. I, I don't know. I'm just reading off this one thing, though. In addition to all this, he owns the rights to the song My Way by Frank Sinatra, which I love. He owns one of the largest newspapers in France. Yes. Uh, super interesting guy. When I'm curious about people like this, and um, Andrew Wilkinson is going to be on the pod. Is he going to be on, on this Tuesday? Uh, yeah, next the next episode, basically. So Andrew kind of... Andrew... Not exactly, but kind of does it in the same way as well. And so we have to ask him about this. What I want to know is how do these people manage so many freaking projects? Right. Because um, like I, I can't even manage what I have on my plate. And like, right. So for example, prolific. so, so they, they, you know, they hire, they hire people to run their shit, right? So like I worked with a guy, Michael Birch, who's kind of like this, like a billionaire type of dude. And he created this incubator with this totally different model or everybody owns all the equity in all the projects. And, you know, he picked me to run the, run the show for him. So he, tr- and he trusted me. He's pretty hands-off. We checked in, but, like, he let me run the show. So I was looking at this guy, Xavier Neal, and he's got somebody, this woman from Google who runs Station F, the big, the big facility. He's got somebody who runs his investment fund. And the guy, that guy was telling the story. He goes, you know, um, we don't have board meetings. But I was like, uh, Xavier, don't you want to know what I'm doing with your fund? And he's like, yeah, yeah, for sure. Tell me. And he's like, um, he, he goes, I told him, I said, Hey, we invest in all these companies. I think we should double down on these winners and uh, make, make less small investments and, and do more on the winning companies. And what do you say? Okay. He goes, he goes, I'm not, I'm not doing this to make more money. I'm doing this to make more companies, invest in more companies. And the guy was like, what? <laughs> he's like, he's like, you could double down, but don't stop investing in new and like new small, small companies. Uh, and then the other thing that they t- talked about in his thing, kind of like what you're saying, how do you manage this? They're showing like, uh, the guy showed his email inbox, all the emails from this guy. And I've noticed this. A lot of wealthy, busy people, their emails look like text messages. So like this guy will write him a long email about like, hey, we're thinking about this plan. Here's what we could do. Here's and their replies. Like, okay, cool. Or it's like literally it's up to you. All good. And it's like up the number two, the letter U, <laughs> and then all good. Wait, where do I see the screenshot? Uh, there, there was a story, I think it was like a Forbes or Bloomberg story or something about this guy. Um, and they, they, they put, that, put that in there. But I think this is a pretty common thing amongst the people who do a lot of stuff. I guess I'm it's kind of like if I buy stuff. like, uh, like I've talked about how I'm, I'm going to buy like a, just a toy car, like a fun car. I guess right. it'd be like the equivalent of me buying like a $10,000 car and like letting someone use it. And it's like, dude, I don't care. Just make sure it comes back in one piece. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, the thing, uh, I guess the thing I want to clarify, because when Andrew's coming on on Tuesday... I'm, I like Andrew for the same reason I like this guy. And they're totally different, right? Andrew's not gone to jail and didn't start a sex hotline and is not a billionaire. Like, Well, we don't know that for sure. Yeah, exactly. Well, not publicly. This guy, are, this guy has about 20 years on Andrew, so give him <laughs> time. Uh, but I guess like the thing, the thing that stands out to me is I respect, above all else, people who do shit their own way. People who have their own, they, they are original thinkers and decide to live life on their own terms. That's kind of what I got out of this guy is I think, I feel like this guy, Branson, Elon Musk, the thing I like about them, and they definitely have lots of flaws and lots of you know messed up things that they do, 
but I just respect that they don't just follow a normal societal playbook. They live life on their own terms. They, 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 they basically, you know, march the beat of their own drum or whatever. That's what I like about them. That's what I like about Andrew. Um, he's done it completely his way, which is very non-traditional. Do you think this guy speaks good English? This French guy? Yeah. Let's, uh, I bet he's all right. Let's fucking email him. Yeah, let's do it. I'm looking at him now. I, I mean, I, he, I would, if you're French, I mean, if you're a, a, a magnet like this, I, I would imagine you, you speak some English, but is he, uh, yeah, I don't know sure, if he speaks sure. good enough English to be on this. I'm sure uh, he speaks. I'm sure he, we'll learn French, dude. Uh, we'll, we will, we will make it happen if we need to. Yeah. It'll be like a uh, Yoel, Yoel Romero on Joe Rogan, where he just has a translator on the podcast. Right. I'm down. I would love to do this. And this guy's in cahoots with uh, this other guy who I don't want to say his name because it's too embarrassing if I pronounce, if I try to say it, say it because he's French, but I, it's Bernard Arnault. Do you know who that is? He owns LBMH. Oh, uh, okay. I, I'll tell you really quick. He's, usually goes back and forth with Gates and a few of these other guys as the richest guy in the world. He L L V M H it uh, stands for Louis Vuitton something, uh, but they own um, Chanel. They own Louis Vuitton. They own um, it's the largest luxury group in the world. They own Fen, Fen, um, Fendi. What's the uh, Rihanna? Fenty. Yeah. Yeah. They own that. So the way he started it was his father was wealthy and they owned a, a construction business and it was big, but it wasn't like billionaire big, but um, I think they sold it for like $20 million in, uh, in the sixties, which is a lot of money that, I mean, that's probably the equivalent of uh, 20 million. That's probably the equivalent of a hundred million now. So it's a lot of money. Um, and so anyway, he convinced his father when this guy, Bernard was in his twenties and he goes, dad, we got to divert. We got to sell our construction business and buy luxury goods. Cause when I went to New York they all knew what Chanel was, but that's not even a big company. And so he goes, let's, let's, let's fucking buy Chanel. And so they bought Chanel for a small sum, millions of dollars, but not what it's worth now. And then he runs it and he starts buying more and more and more. So he turned a construction company into the owner of Louis Vuitton. And Dude, they own a lot of shit. So let me just throw off some names. So they own Belvedere, they own Hennessy, they own Dior, they own Fendi, they own Fenty, they own Tag, um, they own Hublot. They own Moet. They own. I mean, this is this is like a like I don't know a luxury brand that's not on this list. Yeah, they own it all. Like, do they? But then, like Gucci. I think Gucci is its own brand. Yeah, it's kind of like you know, like the AB and Bev, where it's like yeah. two companies own like all the other sub companies. Yeah. Well, this freaking guy did it, and he it started as a construction business. Right. And this doesn't happen that much anymore. But this is what I love about business before for some reason it seemed like this happened this ha- used this used to happen a lot more the chinese are notorious for doing this where they diversify like crazy so i don't think this doesn't happen more i think this is just something that happens on like a 50 year horizon and so it's just hard for us who like we're just for 5 years we've just been furiously looking at this or 10 years uh, to see these things that are playing out over 50 or 100 year arcs right i like, agree i agree i agree with you but I've studied a handful of Chinese companies that were launched in the 90s and 2000s, and they are like crazy about doing that. Right. Um, where like they would start something, and like two years later, they own like apartment buildings. <laughs> it's like what the heck? That's not even like. And and um, the Japanese uh, have done it as well. They they have a name for it. I don't want to pronounce it because I don't want to butcher. It. I don't even know how to say it. It starts with a K. Ka- Kazu, I think. 
Um, okay. And, it, and, it, and it's basically, it's kind of like how, do you know how Yamaha makes motorcycles, pianos, right. and chainsaws, right. and power blow? <laughs> it's kind of like that. Like, they like are known for doing that. And so, what do you, okay, so I, I was saying what I respect the most. SoftBank did it, too. Right. So, what I was saying was I, what I respect the most is people who, who you know, create their own playbook on how they want to live their life and, and I agree. pull it off. What, what would be your, because like, I think you kind of like the like mogul types. You love yeah. researching mogul. Like, what do you think is I, like your highest, highest bit thing you respect? People who, people. The, the same, you said it best. I agree with what you said. People okay. who, um, people who look at the world and be like, yeah, I get it. The world's this way. I'm going to bend the world to make it my right. way though. And have you, uh, like, in your own small way, do you think, have you done that? Like, what's an example of where you've bent the world into working the way you want it to work? I think that, I'm, so I'm from Missouri. I think that some of my friends from Missouri think that I have done that. Um, I do not think that I have done that. Right. But okay. I think give it time and I will. I think some of the things you did with the hustle were like that. So, for example, um, you didn't go the VC route. In fact, you did some weird shit like crowdfunding and other stuff <laughs> along the way. Um, and from the beginning, I think you, I remember you distinctly saying, cause I was like, why don't you do Facebook? You know, why don't you do video? Why don't you Snapchat? This shit's hot. And you were like, no, I want to do email because that's my own little pirate ship that I can own. And I'm not, I'm not dependent on any other platform. I want to make my own pirate ship and I want to get my pirate ship to be a big fucking pirate ship. And I just never really heard anyone talk like that or think like that where they were so um, specific around the like um, the path to victory, dude. Um, I have a video. Like I'm, I, I'm normally I try not to brag on myself because I think I got a lot of flaws. But the way our company is shaping now, I made a video in 2015 and I outlined what was going to happen, and it is 100% happening exactly like that. <laughs> where, where is that video? What, what, how it's on YouTube. That? If you Google the hustle seed invest. I explain, I go, we're going to build to a million people. We're going to profit from advertising and we're going to use all that profit to build more stuff and we're going to sell that stuff and then we're going to build more media around it. And it is happening exactly. And do you know how you said pirate ship? Let me show you something. Hold on. Let me show you something. Stay there. All right. So I'm off camera. So I'm going to show you why. You're going to see what I'm doing. So Sam just dropped his pants <laughs> and I'm looking at a giant pirate ship tattoo on his thigh. <laughs> when did you get that? In 2000, like right around when I was telling you about the company, uh, I got a pirate ship and it says bold, fast, fun. So you basically, and that's how, you, you tattooed your business plan onto your thigh. Yes. I love it. I tell everyone, I go, email list is our pirate ship and every email is a little bit of wind in our sails. I love it. That's great. Okay, we got to end on that. That's a classic. Uh, I should have taken a screenshot of that one. Um, okay, so we will see you guys Tuesday. We're going to have Andrew on. Uh, when we say Tuesday, that's when we record. These come out. The, the I look like a freaking loose cannon right now with a mohawk and tattoos. I'm not actually <laughs> like that. <laughs> All right, man. I will we'll, uh, catch you later. Okay.